So there's a lot of theology associated with the idea of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what exactly it meant. And, and, and a lot of people have spent a lot of time studying and looking into it, and that's good. It's a good thing to do. It's interesting to go into the, all the specifics of it. But, but it's easy to forget that at its core, it's a story. And it's that story that we want to reflect on today. A story that took place with humans like us, outside, like this, not here, but on a hill. A hill and, and a place, a land called Israel, outside of a city named Jerusalem that you can still go to. I don't know that we know exactly where it all happened, but but at least we know the town anyway, a story. A story where, at least on Friday, it did not look like Jesus was winning. We talked about this last Sabbath when we talked about the centurion and we talked about the thief on the cross. Somehow they saw past that event to something that was going to come, something that not even the disciples could see. It didn't look like Jesus was winning that day as he carried his cross up the hill, as the soldiers stretched him out on that cross, as, the, as they drove the nails in his hands, as he suffered through the day. There were miraculous things that happened and, and the earth shook and Jesus said a number of things, but in the end, it looked like it was over. He died. Joseph of Arimathea went. He had connections. He got permission to take the body of Jesus. He took Jesus down from the cross. There was just a small handful left around him. They all, all of the people with Jesus that day could have easily stood with me on this hill. They took his body. They put him in the tomb. And they noted where it was. And they went back and they honored the Sabbath. But it was early in the morning on the first day. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this would definitely be surprising to get there and see the stone rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now, just if you put yourself in that moment, that had to be a rather startling moment. You came to the tomb early with the expectation of finding Jesus where he was left, no longer alive, to conclude what you were going to do for his burial. But he's not there. And suddenly two men in bright clothes are there with you. And so verse 5 makes a lot of sense. It says, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, as we reflect on this story, we know that these were angels that were speaking to the women, though they didn't realize that immediately, necessarily. 
I think they did soon enough. But do you ever wonder how often the angels are just a little bit perplexed at our lack of faith and confidence? They said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised. Then they remembered his words. Well, how many times did Jesus say that? We, we know he said it quite a few times, but isn't it interesting how you can't hear something if, if you can't make meaning out of it? And they just couldn't understand what Jesus was saying that he really was going to die and be crucified and on the third day raised. And that's not how it works. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. They're the eleven now, and that's a tragic reality, isn't it? Because Judas is now gone. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Now listen to who it was. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna... Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. And the apostles were overjoyed in the moment. And Oh wait, no, that's not what it says. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It's tragic really, isn't it? That what Jesus said would happen is being fulfilled perfectly. And not only that, now these women come back with this message, but the, the disciples, the ones who were with him, they still can't see past it. Thief on the cross, he's not alive now, but, but he saw past it. Now these disciples, they're still alive, but the words that Jesus has raised to them is nonsense. Well, I don't want to be too hard on them. Because while... While Christ is raised might not be nonsense to you, you've heard this all your life, you know about this, it may not be a phrase that's as meaningful to you as it should be. Are we a little bit sometimes like the apostles? We're wrapped up in our stress, caught up in the discussion of the little room, not aware that Jesus is doing great works beyond this, that God is accomplishing the ultimate purpose for which Jesus came that the victory has been achieved, the disciples are huddled in the room afraid. We're not ever like that, are we? John chapter 20 gives us a little more detail about Mary Magdalene. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. Now, now you just got to pause for a second on that because this is so symbolic and so amazing. When, do you remember the, the description of the Ark of the Covenant that was in the temple and how the Shekinah glory of God was, was there over the mercy seat, the place from which forgiveness was to come? And the description of the ark, there were two angels, one on each side, each hovering over. That, that reality of the ark is, is fulfilled right here in the truth of this place where Jesus lay. The angels were there hovering over the mercy seat, the, the achievement of the forgiveness of sins that had taken place. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Again, 
This is a time for joy. Why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. That's true. That was the reality of what she understood. She was caught in that moment, and when we're caught in the moment and we can't see the larger work of God, we're overcome in fear. Verse 14, at this she turned around. I'm sorry, verse 13, second half. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Maybe it was the tears in the eyes, I don't know. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. We're always good at rational conclusions, right? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Now for a moment, just go into her emotion, into her experience in this moment. The, the sadness, the longing to care for the body of the Lord. Maybe this gardener thought, what in the world is this body doing here? And he's just taken him out and he's dumped him. And, and Mary is just tragic over this. Jesus said to her, Mary... And there was something in that moment about the way he spoke. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them he had said these things to her. Imagine the moment. What did the world look like after this encounter? All of the things, the impediments, the problems. Now, what does it look like in this moment when she realizes that Jesus is alive? She wouldn't be the only one that day that would encounter Jesus. And it seems from the record that, that at some point during that day, Peter did encounter Jesus. But, but really, it's not till later that the rest of them do. There's another group. There's two of them. Luke 24, verse 13 tells us, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed. They're walking along these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you're walking along? They stood still, their faces downcast. You can imagine the despair. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Kind of funny when you think about it, he's saying that to Jesus. Jesus like, yeah, no, I was there. I, uh, I participated. What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I want you to notice something here. Do you remember how Martha said, you are the Christ, the Son of God? They want to believe this, but they can't get there. Watch what they say. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped... We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. 
Oh, they wanted to believe it. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. How much does it take to believe? Jesus said it would happen. The women reported, but still they're in despair. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Are we that? Is that us? Are we foolish and slow to believe? Did the Messiah not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now I want you to reflect for a second here on what Jesus is saying. He said, did not the Messiah have to suffer and then enter his glory? Is it possible that the suffering comes before the glory? If we could, if we could believe that, if we could hang on to that, that suffering was not a sign that we've been forsaken, but rather a part of the entering into the glory. That was what, what, uh, what Peter told us in the letter he wrote, that, that, that in the suffering we're, we're fulfilling our part in the whole story. Can we say confident in our hope? The author of Hebrews talks about this hope. And he talks about the promises that God makes. It said, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Now that was hard for Abraham to believe. And he had a hard time being faithful all the way. But God had made him a promise. And because there was nothing greater he could swear by, he swore by himself. And then Hebrews 6 verse 15, And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God has promised. He has promised that in Christ your sins are taken away. He has promised that Jesus is coming again. Can you believe and wait patiently and find hope? Hebrews 6, 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Now, Catch this, you are an heir of what God has promised. And God wanted to make it clear that nothing in his promise was going to change. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Do you need encouragement and hope today? God has made you promises. You are heirs of salvation through Jesus Christ, achieved for you on the cross. 
and made permanent forever in the resurrection. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Right now, when everything seems anything but firm and secure, Scripture tells us, in the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have this anchor, firm and secure, regardless of what's taking place around us. It says it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. This is the Jesus who walked on earth. This is the Jesus who healed. This is the Jesus who traveled with Israel in the wilderness before He was the incarnate Son of God. The same one. He keeps His promises. What has Jesus promised you? Well, I know for sure He's promised that the good work He's begun in you, He will be faithful to complete. And I know He's promised that He will come again. And I know He's promised to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. The victory that Jesus won was so amazing, so beyond our comprehension, that when He arrived back in heaven, Revelation 5 tells us that that as He took the scroll, which means now we can begin to get to the end, to the forgiveness, to the, to the wrapping up of all things. He took the scroll. Everyone began to praise. And, and these words were spoken. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I want you to say those words with me today because the Bible prophesies that these are the words that will be spoken. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Say it with me one more time. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. He deserves your praise. Christ who died, rather Christ who is raised, and now is above, and one day will come again, knows your name. He remembers you. Put your faith in the risen Lord today. Have confidence that all that He has promised, He will achieve. Trust that even as we go through difficult times, even the the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil, for He is with us. We can find hope in this. We can find courage in this. And we can find strength for living in the promises of Jesus. Give Him your praise today. Reflect on the great work He has done. Find the promise of forgiveness and live in hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that You have kept Your promise. You sent Your Son Jesus. 
He was faithful in all His ways. He died. He bore our sin and shame. But now He has risen again. Yet for a little while longer, we wait for His return. But He will return and receive us that forever we might be with Him. The proof is His own resurrection. We need not fear the grave or anything else because Jesus lives and lives for us. We put our faith and our trust and our hope in Him. In Jesus' name, amen.